the song of the slipping belt on Mary Ann's squad car. Day crescendos down over the hill and straight into hell. Who's that in the truck? Who's that on the horse? What's the source of the alkaline smell? What's hidden beneath the floorboards of Angus's barn? Welcome to Lulu. sounds nice check one all right yesterday at 9:03 a.m. my computers came screaming to life with every alarm the worst was happening again this time in the pacific northwest questions surrounding not if but when had their answers i was already putting on my coat when 19 seconds later the phone call came in with the marching orders At 1:40, I boarded a plane at Thurgood Marshall Airport. During my transfer at O'Hare International, I changed my clothes, my alias, I affected an accent, I applied stick-on mutton chops. Two more flights and costume changes later, off with the mutton chops, on with the Fu Manchu. 93 miles of hitchhiking and 99 miles of riding an abandoned bike I found in a pasture. I had arrived. Invisible and anonymous, I had arrived here. in the valley town of Lulu where very soon the nightmare will unfold at 2:27 this afternoon i find my supplies discreetly left for me by i don't know who an ally under the rubble of a collapsed dam on the Okanagan River a truck so packed with gear i can't lean my seat back and my chest is against the steering wheel when i drive keep accidentally honking the horn with my whole body that's bad for not drawing attention to myself. I have mostly recording equipment. This microphone for one, cash money for bribes or emergency provisions. A few weeks worth of what they call gourmet MREs, that's meals ready to eat, but mostly recording equipment. What do I see? The weather in Lulu is not hospitable. It's wet. There's moss and lichens on everything. The rain for the most part is vague but constant and I will have to grow accustomed to being rain-sodden. But this is not the time to be comfortable. My first order of business will be to establish a line to who will be smack dab at the center of catastrophe. Who everyone will soon say like it's self-evident is incompetent, unfeeling and oblivious. The rain picks up a little. track down local police sergeant Mary Ann O'Connell. Carry a gun. I am a police sergeant in a rain slicker 
going door to door like a vacuum salesman, telling people to carry a gun. I guess it's no secret anymore about what happened to my chickens. Everybody knows the wolves got into the chickens. What I didn't appreciate was the reporters down at the Nickel Pickle decide to run it on the cover. Big black and white picture of the whole gruesome mess. Just seemed kind of, I don't know, mean or something. And now folks are all acting like they're mad at me, like I did something wrong. Like it's a police issue. Like some wolves care I'm a cop. You know we've been hearing them, the wolves. Seeing them, there's evidence of them. Are we still in the mood to pretend? Who has to get bit, or worse, before we decide we care? And I'm out here, on my feet, all day, trying to make people care. And I can't even get a straight answer. Are they endangered? Are they protected, or whatever they call it? It's confusing as hell. We haven't had a live-in wolf pack in the valley since my dad was a kid. You know, in the meantime, it's apparently my job to go around and say, it's my understanding, it's unlawful to kill the wolves. And then I say, mind your kids, protect yourself out in the apple orchard. In fact, don't go into the orchard alone at night at all. Carry a gun. The looks I get from people. And they say, but you just said. And I say, I know. And then I turn on my heels, move on down to the next house, raise the next set of eyebrows. Now, you might ask me, Marianne, why don't you just post it on the community board outside the pharmacy? Well, it seems to me this might be a wink is better than a nod kind of situation. Maybe not too wise committing ink on paper. And I hear that, and I know it's messed up. Really makes me wonder what I'm doing out here. You know, nobody asked me to do this. There's always a harbinger. Foxes. Beagles, coyotes, and Lulu, it's wolves. Now I need to understand landscapes and not just the geographical. What is the people as they are? So I stand at the back of a conference room, with my hood up and head down at school district HQ. Disagreements over logos, colors, nomenclature, and the fight song escalate into shouting. I slip out to mic up the place. Desk lamps, ceiling tiles, picture frames in influential offices. Later, in an empty hallway, I wire a frond on a plastic fern. I hear footsteps, I react, I stare at my phone like I'm just some guy doing nothing. I'm engaged by a member of the Lulu community, her jaw clenched with rage over what just transpired in the meeting. Mother of three, 42 years old, Janet. Coons. Look, I can be fun. I can be very, very silly. But I think mascots matter, that they say something about you. Can we make our mascot less racist? Can we get on the right side of history? 
Let's not have our kids be called the Lulu Blackfeet anymore. So I set it in motion at the PTA, and people take it pretty surprisingly okay. And we start to talk process. And they say, why don't we let the kids vote on a new mascot? Let's let them use their creativity. It'll start a conversation about our values. And I say, no! It needs to not be too mascotty. It's got to have something to do with something. Stanwood Spartans? Why are they Spartans? Because it starts with an S? Monroe Bearcats? What the hell's a Bearcat? Snohomish Panthers? They don't have Panthers there. We need a name that says something about us. So we start talking about what that really means. Native flora and fauna, events, minerals even, natural formations, our forefathers. And we wind up at an impasse. On the one hand, we have the wolves, which was my idea, makes all kinds of sense. And we have the Squatch. It was everything I feared. So we're going back and forth, and nobody's seeing it the same as anybody. And finally, Principal Peacock says, Okay, okay, okay. In this time of hyphenated names and sociopolitical something-something, I see no reason we can't all be very happy and proud of all the aspects of our identity. And we do it. We hyphenate. The Wolf Squatch. Have you ever heard a grosser thing in your life? And then somebody says, we're Squatch. And then somebody says, wait, is a werewolf too much like a Sasquatch? And, and now we're talking about this junk. And then somebody says, Squolf? And I'm like, what? And then we circle back around to it. Wolf, Squatch. A hyphen and an apostrophe. And we lock it in. But this does say something about us. And I'm not so sure it's our best side. I finish up just before sunrise, and I crawl out the office window of the superintendent. I haven't slept in almost two days now, but I want downtown to myself. Birds chirp as I walk the main drag slow. Variety store a sale on toy dinosaurs that grow in water. Two dollar lager at the saloon. Breakfast place called River's Edge on the river's edge. A pharmacy. I'm interested in the vantage points of pharmacists. This place happens to be run by one Carl O'Connell, husband of the police sergeant. Lulu comes to life Carl O'Connell arrives at 7.42. He flips the open sign before he even flips on the lights. His eyes flit out the window, across the street and back. He's curious about something across the way. Local pharmacist Carl O'Connell. Last spring, the Tillman kid was zipping along Pine Street. Gets his feet mixed up, takes a stumble, catches his eyeball on the edge of the sandwich board at the pet shop across the way. So I close the pharmacy, drop him in the truck, take him off to the clinic in Omac, and he's, he's howling like a banshee. I'm trying to calm him down, telling a story about a turtle. I don't realize I forgot my phone. Now, 
that was a mistake. See, Mary Ann, she'd cruised by the shop on patrol. Most days she'll stop in, take a break, and here it is, two something in the afternoon and the place is closed up. So, she assumes the worst, goes looking for me at Mid Valley. That's the big hospital. But we're not at the big hospital. We don't have a big problem. I didn't think so anyhow. We're at Blackbird, the tiny little clinic. And she dispatches the whole fleet. Not like I'm hiding. She finds me quick, comes rushing in all happy I'm alive. That was good. It's nice to feel like your wife likes you. So, I get a superlative in the nickel pickle for citizenship on account of the incident. And Mary Ann, the police sergeant, my brave wife, just sits there clapping while I give my ridiculous Good Samaritan speech. Anyway, the Tillman kid lost the eyeball. It was worse than I thought. Hence the story getting out, the newspaper award. Hated that becoming about me in any fashion. Citizenship, my eye. I mean, you don't get the award if the kid keeps the eye. Man, I wish I'd taken Francis Tillman to Mid-Valley. Kills me to know he lost half his sight on account of my turtle stories in the face of crisis. They tell me that's not so, but they would, wouldn't they? Yes, I believe they would. I miss my eyeballs. I diss this eye patch. I miss my depth perception. Oh, so much. It's all flat as drywall. baseball coach They're doing wind sprints on the grasses I'm doing a stint in vision therapy classes Cause I'm a dope So Dr. Trout Janet Coons lives on the north end of Lulu Valley, where homes and businesses stand on average 1.2 stories taller than their counterparts to the south. Residents of North Lulu are employed in positions that tend to have more to do with desks than dirt. So who lives on the south end of Lulu Valley? Making his rounds, there's Chesterfield Brownie Brown. Lulu, my folks, and my brother is out on what used to be a homestead. We used to milk goats and grow trees and that. 
Turned to more of a uh, not homestead. Scrapyard. Got a big machine, crushes cars into pancakes. And all of us got our own trailers over on the windy side. Share mine with the lady and the boy. And it's my job to go get the stuff. Go sit at the uh, in place of the dump with the sign. Take your scrap metal, uh, old car, old washer, old dryer. Go to the police auction, estate sales. Not jobs in that. Go out on a scavenge. I've seen all kinds of crazy stuff. Found a body in a car one time, all covered in uh, snow. Out on North Cascades Highway, phoned it in. Didn't get to keep the car. That was too bad. The guy looked like a popsicle. But uh, anyhow, managed properties for a minute. And back in my rental days, say I show you an apartment and it looks like you want it. I'll walk you to your car because I'm being sneaky. Because I know there is a million ways to get away with this stuff. I mean, you can fake a smile. You can take a bath. You can forge a reference or a document. But if you come up to me like some kind of fancy guy and your car spewing exhaust and you got junk piled up so you can't see out the back window and so much cosmetic damage in that, I mean, hey, nothing against it. That's how I am. But that's my whole thing. Anywho, those days are just about behind me because I got other... Um, well, <laughs> plans in mind. Special plans. I have too many eyes and ears. For every minute I sleep, there are 3.81 hours of audio and video footage to review and archive. I'm buried alive in information. I nibble on coffee beans constantly. Evening. I'm in the truck with a view into the O'Connell dining room. A high school student, Candace Bauer, joins them for dinner, having walked there from her foster home. I would not advise a long, leisurely amble through wolf country. I start the truck, but I find myself reluctant to separate from the scene at the O'Connell's. Carl puts on unobtrusive Muzak. I can't tell if it's supposed to be funny. Nobody seems to care. Now Carl puts out a tuna noodle casserole, wilted greens, multigrain rolls. Sergeant O'Connell speaks on her personal phone with the deputy, who earlier today notified next of kin following yet another rollover accident on the 97. Candace Bauer sets the table in a way that seems both eager and routine, and I find this all gripping. Am I emotional? But I need to beat Candace Bauer home to install my ears in her residence. I drive. Later, Carl gives Candace a ride home. He idles outside till she's safely entered. At 11.09 p.m., Candace speaks to an as-yet unidentified confidant in the Springer foster home kitchen. Candace... Bauer. The ridge of my nose is kind of sideways. It looks broke, but I don't remember. Maybe it came in this way. Does that happen? Got a pretty good scar, <laughs> kind of, on my back. I, um, I'm trying to find a not stupid way to say I think my mom sold my kidney. Like, when I was a baby, 
does that happen? It's really not that out there. You'd, you'd have to meet my mom. And you can if you're willing to make the trip. They just moved her from Walla Walla to Denver. I guess she had a pretty tough getting picked on problem at the, the prison. I only hear it through the grapevine anymore. Everyone else cares enough for all of us. Growing up, there were always sketchy people around, but they mostly pretended like I wasn't there. And that was normal. Normal to me. She was seeing this guy Brownie a while. <laughs> he got 86 from the grocery store for stealing cough syrup. Well, he puts it in my backpack, tells me to go wait for him in the car. I guess they keep a pretty good eye on the medicine aisle, or at least on Brownie. Security has me by the time I'm about a half a step out the door. They slap him on the wrist, put his picture on the board. He chews me out a little bit. But Brownie's no doctor. Brownie didn't take my kidney. And actually, I, I can't even imagine my mom tracking somebody down to, to do it. Do the surgery. And not that it'd be below her, I just can't imagine her putting it together. Somebody'd have to come around, bring her the idea, make it sound simple. Then she'd go for it. I know she would. Oh, God, or maybe I still have them both. Someday I'll go get looked at, see if I still have all my parts. Maybe. Anyhow, she finally gets bopped for um, stuff you do if you just don't give a crap. It wouldn't take even a couple days of paying attention out there at the cabin, get a rap sheet started quick. Well, she called it the cabin also known as a double-wide in a field. Lots of room for whatever. Tearing around. Firecrackers, ATVs. Hold my beer while I try something. Stuff. But it didn't feel like crime because it didn't feel like there was any law in the first place. One of the guys gets arrested in town. Cops get looking. It all goes apart fast. The book gets out on my mom and... It was worse than I thought. I'm at the kitchen table working on my takeaways. Cops roll in and it's over. They put me in a place. And that's how I got to know Marianne. That is Sergeant O'Connell. She was there for the arrest. I put her in the handcuffs. Saw me there. I guess she felt bad for me. Started taking me out of the home on errands and stuff. Always seemed funny she didn't have a kid. I've thought about adoption and that, but at this point it's like, why? I'm supposedly about to graduate. I don't age out of the home till I'm 21, but there's no way in hell I'm staying there a second longer than I have to. Move in with Carl and Marianne. Just for community college. And I know they'll let me. I know they will. All that's really left is the talking about it. My files are rendering. I update those who need to know. They respond, storm chaser, sleep. I will try to do that. Projections say the shoe drops in Lulu as soon as tomorrow, but I will try to obey this command and rest. My code name is storm chaser. Dispatch to Lulu. The song of the slipping belt on Mary 
and squad car approaches the house on the hill on the lip of the town Doesn't sleep. 